Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you to places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that will change your life or at minimum draw you closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. And sometimes you may hear a little bit of ambient noise in the background, maybe a bird chirping, a leaf blower, something like that, uh, because these are the types of things that happen when you see when you find yourself in these places. It's not in the soundproof Hollywood quality studio. It's not going to be in the official board meeting with minutes. It's when we allow ourselves to be free to master our minds. So I am going to tell you about today's guest. He's somebody I've been very interested in speaking with for a while. I've never, and this is what makes the world of online so interesting, is I'm about two minutes into this and I did not ask him how to pronounce his name, so I'm going to butcher it and he's going to correct me or tell me I got it right. But let's give it a shot. His name is John Sarasani, and I may have gotten that wrong. John, how did I do with that? You did pretty good, man. It's Sarasani. A lot of people say Sarasini, so at least you got the vowels correct, my friend. I appreciate that. Sarasani. Okay, John Sarasani. So uh, we'll just uh, we'll just uh, yeah. He kind of peeked through the door there before we officially invited him in, but that's okay. He's a serial entrepreneur, business expert, and venture capitalist, featured on Fox, NBC, WGN, and CBS. Notably, he was cr- featured in Crane's Business Forty Under Forty for one of his early companies at age twenty-seven. He's got a lot of stuff going on. He may tell you a little bit about himself when I turn the thing over to him. I do know that he will also be releasing his second book, which is called 2000% Raise, which gives readers guidance on leaving their employers to go into business for themselves. You'll find him all over social media. He is a scholarship Division I football player, a former scholarship Division I former football player at the University of Notre Dame and Northwestern University. He sits on multiple boards for nonprofits and focuses much of his philanthropic efforts toward making higher education available in underserved communities. He also served as a trustee for universities in both Indiana and South Carolina. So I've actually left a lot out because I'm already so in awe. I'm not sure I belong here or I'm worthy to be in this man's presence. And this is my show. But anyway, let's bring him in. John, come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> How you doing, Adam? Hey, man, you could uh, introduce me anytime I walk into a room. I'll take I'll take that intro any day of the week, my friend. All right. So, 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 so before we dive in and we're going to be talking about building a company to compete with much larger or more established entities. Yes, sir. Tell me a bit about your journey in your own words. What's brought you to where you are today? Serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. You know, man, so after I got out of college, I entered the white collar workforce. I was fortunate enough to land in the insurance industry. And the reason I say I was fortunate enough to be there is because there's certain verticals within insurance that you could strive as a smaller entity and compete with bigger, um, much bigger corporations as competitors without needing a lot of upfront capital. So what it enabled me to do was really learn the trade working at a bunch of the big dogs, you know, Arthur J. Gallagher, Mm -hmm. the insurance giants that worked at Cigna Healthcare. I mean, these are huge, huge companies, right? And uh, after six years, I'm like, you know what? I don't don't need to work at these operations. I, I could go out on my own get my Mm -hmm. own clients, um, more than likely replace the salary that I'm currently getting by working here in a short period of time, and then just go up from there. And uh, that's really the basis of my book, um, Adam, 2000% raise. Okay, never stop doing the same job, just put myself on top of the org chart and 
gave myself a raise in the process. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I, I've, uh, I, I love these stories and, you know, I myself, I worked for a few companies early on before I decided to do my own thing. Uh, I did the route where I went to college, got the diploma, the degree, got a job. Then I went on to MBA school, which is, you know, to me, one of my very wise decisions. I'm very happy I did it. Yep. Uh, when I was going through that process of getting my MBA level job, I got a taste of entrepreneurship because I started doing what today is called side hustling. In the work and in the field that I was looking to break into uh, through a combination of my MBA and my work experience. And I thought, you know what? Why don't I just do this, man? Yep. And I did yep. it. It took now, it took two years to make the leap. Okay. Okay. You know, because back then I didn't know what I know now. I didn't even know what questions to ask or the questions were available to ask. Give yeah. me, put me back in 2003 with 2022 knowledge. I'd have been out of there in two weeks. And what was your side hustle? What was it? Uh, I was, my goal at the time, my career goal was to be a training development director for a Fortune 100 company. So I ended up doing work with a training and development firm, uh, a small entrepreneurial venture that held some pretty big accounts. So there was a lot of work to go around. And I worked with the principal of the firm to develop their uh, trainings, their presentations, to analyze survey data from employee mm-hmm. surveys. Yep. And I also was, uh, and this is very interesting, uh, assisted them with collation of uh, certain segments of the content of their book and helping them launch the book when it uh, became ready for publication. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, the reason I asked you that is because you are, you are you're, the capital yeah. of an organization like that is human capital. It's the resources that human beings are bringing to the table. You don't need uh-huh. some assembly line. You need, don't need some robot building cars. You know what I mean? So I, I think I think the entrepreneurial route, when when um, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're at a Fortune 100 or or a five employee shop in the strip mall. It's the people actually doing the work on those accounts that that make. Uh-huh. And that's what I identified when when I was working for I was working for a twenty thousand employee company, and uh, I'm like, well, well, I said to my clients, well, uh, shit, uh, nineteen thousand nine hundred ninety nine people don't have crap to do with your account. I'm the one doing everything. I could, uh, you know, I could leave here and go out on my own and do this. And uh-huh. you know, the, the problem is, I'm sure you probably faced is you're you're going against competitors you know, that, that have that pedigree, you know, they've been in uh-huh. business for decades and decades. They have multiple offices. They're maybe even they're traded on the stock exchange. It's always one that kind of gets me. <laughs> if they're, if they're on the New York stock exchange, how does that matter to you in terms of client deliverables? This doesn't really make any sense to me, but um, you know, to right. each, each their own, each their own. Yeah. You know, uh, sometimes they, they make the assessment that bigger is better. And, you know, I remember when I first, um, I first started out, and it's funny how this has evolved, at least from my estimation. Others may have different views, and that's okay. Uh, I remember my first year as an entrepreneur doing everything I could to make my company look bigger. You know, the bigger website, the listing of all the virtual assistants that I had as if they were my team. Uh, I mean, they were, but you get the idea. We, we, you go back 15 yeah. years, everybody yeah. was listing. Every single person even had a peripheral connection to their business as a team member because they yeah. wanted to make it look like they uh, had this big <laughs> office and you could imagine them having uh, having <laughs> a Friday afternoon happy hours or whatever. And, uh, right. and then I've seen the shift toward uh, more toward personal branding where it's the personal brand of the principal that carries it. And it's kind of taken for granted they got other people doing some of the stuff. Right, right. Yeah, you know, when I started my company, because I was trying to go up. So what happens in insurance in the space I was in, at least, <laughs> yeah, usually people like, usually when you leave a company like an Arthur J. Gallagher or an Aon or a Marsh, that's fine. But usually people are assuming you're going to go downstream and work on like uh-huh. smaller corporate accounts. Like maybe instead of the big 400 employee, you know, uh, accounting mm-hmm. firm, you're going to work on that maybe 20 employee hair salon or something like that. It's just kind of a, uh-huh. well, I didn't want to do that. All right. So I'm going to go still go after those 400, 500 plus account um, employee accounts. Cause I was working in employee benefits. So the employee account was, was all that mattered. Uh-huh. Right, 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 right. So, yeah. So, so I had, heard- I had to, I had to show 
that I had I had to put on that facade that you just described. I would put mm-hmm. that on there, man. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a funny one. It's right in line with what you're doing. My company was called Northwest Comprehensive. NWCUSA.com was, was our website. Instead of putting John at NWCUSA.com, I put C-E-R-A-S, then J at NWC. Like the first five letters of my last name. Yeah, like, 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 a, like a company would do where you do last name, dot first name or something like that. Exactly. And uh, yeah. Well, because we were so big at them, you know, we were just so huge. We had to do that. John, John was obviously already taken, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, uh, and. And then meanwhile, I had this one client and uh, he's been my client for 16 years and he listens to some of these episodes. So, Dan, you'll laugh at this one. I even called him out by name. And uh, he uh, and he did a lot of teleseminars where a lot of his guests were named Lisa. And and uh, and the biggest thing with him is I had to say, please, when we put up this latest teleseminar registration page, let's not do forward slash Lisa because you're just going to interview another Lisa next month. (laughs) But uh, uh, but 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 but, uh, meanwhile, but meanwhile, what happens is and I found this hilarious when a company would hire somebody. uh, Let's say their name was Alessandra Francesca, because that's the name of my cat. And she's sitting on my table right now, giving me looks of judgment. So they hire an Alessandra Francesca. And maybe they do the last name dot first name thing. So it's francesca.alessandra at myhugeasscompany.com. Then, coincidentally, there's another Alessandra Francesca they managed to hire. No. We're not talking talking Jane Doe. We're talking a pretty unique name. (laughs) So what happens? What do you do? Yeah, it's like so. What do you do? Add number two. Add number O two. I mean, it's a there's a world of endless possibilities. And uh, you got to fire one. You got to fire yeah. one. That and, and, and you know, and, and you know, another thing I discovered is you know, with all these companies, with all their unique uh, email aliases and things like that, I did a um, a research project with that very first client I had, where we were contacting CEOs of organizations to get their speaking kits now what i didn't know is that 17 of the speakers that we were targeting were all represented by the same agency we could have just contacted their agency and asked for their one sheets but i uh, did that research project where i uh you know you you, you do the you do the internet search for at something.com and then include the word email in your search and it'll find somebody who has an email address that works for that company. Find the pattern they use and follow it, and you'll have a good guess. Right. And for, and for those where I couldn't find it, let's say the CEO's name was Howie. I just typed Howie at mybigasscompany.com, and lo and behold, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, we got uh, – you, you and I should uh... – to talk over a beer or coffee, whatever, whichever you prefer sometime. I think we'd have right. good stories to share. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So um, there's a few things you want me to cover in the green room. And I want to make sure we get some of these out. So this is going to, the next part of this is going to take a bit of a Q&A, if that's all right with you. Is that all right with you? I know it's, it's awesome. Right yeah, for sure. All right. So, uh, and they kind of bounce around a bit. So I wanted to just, you know, pre-preface for our listeners. We're going to kind of zigzag and take a little bit of a curvy drive here, which is great. So um, we we spoke a bit about the transition from working from someone to starting your own business. We touched on that a little bit, and we may circle back to that more later. Now, as a venture capitalist, and this is where I want to get the view of somebody who's looking at that small company, what do you look for? Yeah. So what I look for as a venture capitalist in, and you know, there's different things, different VCs will say when they answer a question like this, but for me, I'm looking for a business model that already, that we could see is going to work. And where I, well, you, you could get into early, early stage stuff. And, and I am in some of that, usually their type, their technology plays where there's some development and you have no idea if this crap's going to work or not, but uh-huh. Let's just say, let's leave that out for a second and just say, okay, just a regular business. All right. I, business, you, came yeah. up with, you came up with this selling, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we want to make revenue and this is the unique way you're going to do it. Okay. Once Which. you show, once you show that you're able to do that. Okay. If you're going to go ask a venture capitalist for money, there needs to be a reason you need that money. If you're already profiteering and you're make, you're, you're doing fine. Well, well, why would you bring in an investor? Don't, it's just going right. to be headaches. But if they're saying, okay, if we take 200 grand and do A, B, and C with this, 
we're going to be able to grow our sales exponentially. If yeah. you tell, you know, if you tell me we're going to take that 200 grand and we're going to turn it into 300 grand for the company over the next three or four years, that, that's not what you're looking for as venture capital. The, for that, that's different. The, the VC is not looking for that. We're looking away for a way where we could throw money on this fire and make the flames huge from an exponential standpoint. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Now, here's some. Now, here's something that you know, I have found. Um, I found uh, very, very interesting is that you know people will you know people will look at um, this uh, you know this idea of getting funding, and they will. I don't know. I don't want to say struggle with it, but they're not going to have really a strong frame of reference for how to really go about doing that systematically and how to understand the value of their company. So I had a really interesting epiphany. I have no plans to sell what I'm doing. Now, what I have, I mentioned earlier, is uh, I basically have a laptop lifestyle type business. Uh, so it goes where I go, just like yep. our just like our podcast goes where you go. And right. um, it doesn't have a physical plant. It doesn't have an office. Uh, really, the only thing physical it owns is a few computers and a couple hard drives. Everything else is virtual. So I thought for shits and giggles, I had one of those valuation companies take a look at my company and uh, just confirm for me that if I drop dead, my company's not worth five cents. Yeah. And they gave me an evaluation somewhere <laughs> in the neighborhood of $33,000. Okay, okay. I thought, what? Hmm. Uh, turns out that the way that particular evaluator was looking at it mm -hmm. is I already have a number of websites and I host domains that have considerable legacy. The websites in their estimation are very well built. Mm -hmm. uh, they're expandable and adaptable and could easily be modified with the idea that I have brands like the Business Creators Institute, the Podcast Reach System, the, the overall reach system, in-demand expert, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, most of which say with Adam Homey or by Adam Homey. Somebody mm -hmm. could come in, somebody could get the logos updated to put their name on it and put their mm -hmm. name on the, on the front page of it. And they could even take over the value of my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, by just simply giving themselves a with credit on a revised edition and write either a chapter or responses to my chapters with their thoughts and thereby, and thereby make themselves co-owners of my intellectual property and profit from it. Interesting. Interesting. I had, I had, I had never thought of that. It's just the idea that I had stuff and where they came from, as they said, for the amount of internet properties we have, the amount of resources, technologies, and things we already have built out, the typical entrepreneur would invest th approximately thirty to forty thousand dollars to create it if they need if they were starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. Whereas with yours, somebody could buy it and just tweak it a little. Gotcha. You know, and that's that's interesting. It sounds like you weren't doing this for this purpose, but just an FYI to you, if you already haven't thought about it, um, whoever's doing your estate planning, I don't know if you have any or not, with like life insurance and all that kind of yeah. stuff, you, you should uh th that would be included as an asset. So you should talk to whoever you're using for that to see if that matters or not, or have a plan for that. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm actually in the process of doing that. Actually, I mean that, and I and I found that really surprising. Now there may be some other there may be some other evaluators may say wait mm. you think this is worth something <laughs> yeah, right but, right but, 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 but here's what i like to say what is what is something worth yeah what is something i'm asking you the question what is something what, what, worth well what somebody will pay for it bingo yeah exactly. that's exactly yeah. the answer that i was looking right. for what yep. is something worth what i can sell it for today yep Exactly. When exactly. I was a yeah, when I was a when I was a, 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 a an eighteen year old kid who had just discovered alcohol for the first time, mm -hmm. um, I had my I had my Camaro and I was thinking about buying a Corvette for some weird reason. Okay. So I had my custom antique and sports car trader magazine. Remember those? <laughs> Not really, but well, my, my, it, well, I, I may be I may be a couple years older than you, but uh, that was a big deal. The custom antique and sports car trader was a really big national magazine that had all your know, local editions. Okay, great. So for fun, I was uh, I was uh, over three four south. I found this Corvette, and uh, the off and the offer the guy was making was twenty three thousand dollars or best offer. So I called him. So I called him up. Uh, 
late on a Friday night. He actually answered his phone. And I said, I see you're adding a custom antique and sports car trader for your Corvette, uh, $23,000 or best offer. I just want to confirm $23,000 or best offer. That's still the price. He said, yeah. I said, well, I have $500 on me right now. That's my best offer. Let's go to the notary tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm uh, even, even, even though I occasionally fucking swear in this goddamn podcast, I'm not going to repeat to you the obscenities that he spewed at me after I did that. <laughs> he did not find it funny at all. How, how much of his time did you waste before you got to your uh, climax there? Uh, I, I don't remember. I was pretty drunk, but I <laughs> seem to recall that I seem to recall that it took him about 20 or 30 seconds to get it out of his system. OK, I was going to say what, he's warranted at least two F-bombs for every minute of time you wait. Oh, yeah, I mean, it, it was a short call. But, but you know what? I uh, I, I acknowledge I acknowledge myself that I was uh, that was uh, just young, stupid and discovered the intoxicating power of alcohol for the very first time. Oh my gosh, that's funny. so. That's uh, it's one of those. It's one of those stories. Uh, back when Ron Popeil used to run the infomercials, I used to I used to call the uh, the phone line saying that uh, I'm not sure what it is, but your commercial made me cry. I, I why do I always chop onions when I watch Ron Popeil? I don't get it. <laughs> and so and so and sometimes I would call pretending to be Ron Popeil, saying, "Hey, it's Ron here. How are we doing on sales tonight?" <laughs> now they now they had a response to that, which yeah, is well, no matter what I said is to proceed as if they were completing a questionnaire like they were taking an order from me. Oh, so I'd say, hey, this is Ron Papil. How you doing? I say, okay, sir, um, what are you interested in today? Are you interested in the steak knives? All right, man, I just wanted to see how you guys were doing. You busy? Okay, so yes on the steak knives. Can I have your first name, please? And that's how they would and like and and it's like it's like I thought, okay, well played. All right, gotcha. <laughs> and some people are shocked that robots are taking over the lower paid jobs in America right now, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, the funny the funny thing is a human does it, you say well played. A robot does it, you say, yeah. Don't these people know how to program bots? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So that's so that's uh, that's interesting. Now, what are, now you uh you know have a sports background and I mentioned some of that earlier. Yeah. So there's some lessons you learn from sports. Uh mm -hmm. what do you what are some of those lessons you'd like to see in founders? You know, the, the scrappiness. I, I like to say that, you know, I, I want to see that you're able to do a lot with, with uh -huh. a, a lot with a little and, and, and not the opposite. That what, what really bugs me and irks me, I'm in a couple of deals like this right now. And, <laughs> you know, hindsight's always 2020, 20, but it's like, you get so enamored. Wow, look at all this stuff he's got around him. Look at who, who he has involved. Look at this funding. Holy crap. And then it's like, you haven't really done shit. Like, we barely have a website up. What, what the hell are you doing? You're sitting on your hands over there because you don't have the grit to actually move the needle. And uh, I shouldn't even say move the needle. Move the freaking ball down the damn uh -huh. field and get some, st some stuff done. Um, so, so I really like to look for founders that, um, you know. I love it are able to actually make some progress before they have my money. So some founders will just like kind of think, Oh yeah, you know, I got 200 grand now and uh, look at me, I'm rich. And then, you know, six months later it's gone and no one really knows where it went. And yeah, I, I, I mean, I've gotten private cash injections. I wonder where the hell they went. Yeah. Um, I use some of the money for the intended purpose. And I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to say this candidly. I used a good part of the money to complete the intended purpose, yeah. but some of the rest of it, I was just so tired of 10 years of nonstop hand to mouth. I had to know what it felt like to live like a damn human being for a change. But, you know, but, 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 let, me, but let me develop that further. Yeah. So, yeah, candidly, I didn't spend all the money for debt consolidation. But you know what? It gave me a taste of what it felt like to have lots of revenue, lots of cash flow. Right. And right. Uh, and when I find myself, I found myself subsequently in places where the cash flow is off or or just whatever, I think back to that time. Right. And it inspires me to make it happen again because now I have a frame of reference for it. See, yeah. I this is going to be a bit of a macabre topic, but think about in teenagers especially. You know, you have these rates of suicide. And a lot of times it happens because somebody who's a teenager and they, you know, they – they find themselves on the short end of how nasty other kids can be, and they don't have the support network at home. They don't have a support network from teachers, a church, a scouts community, what have you. All they have is 
being by themselves, like it's them against the entire world. And the entire world is really and truly against them. Yeah. They don't have a frame of reference for knowing that they're going to graduate in a year and all that shit's going to go away. Yep. I mean, you can tell, you can tell them that until you run out of breath. You can show mm-hmm. them a hundred examples of others who had been where they were and look how they turned out just fine. But that person trapped in a situation, all they're going to see is that's all they've ever known is feeling that way. Right. So even if you can show them by the numbers in a year, this is over with. You graduate. You don't have to go that freaking place anymore. You don't ever have to see those people again. Yep. They don't know what it's like to not deal with it. So they can't understand it. Right. But you give them, you give them a taste of what it's like to have friends, to have acceptance, to have themselves celebrated and be part of a mutually beneficial community. That's yep. different. So, uh, and, and, you know, and a friend of mine explained this to me and he explained it in terms of, yeah, Mac, if you're listening, this is for you. Uh, he's, uh, he's one of the most baller individuals I've ever met in terms of all of his hustles and all of his uh, businesses and everything. I mean, just a real, real down to earth sort of dude. But he told me that the way it works, and he's seen it work for so many people who had coached himself as a business coach, that they'll struggle for a long time. And then something happens. They get uh, that cash infusion that they've been trying to get for years, and it finally comes through. They land that really big client, so they get a taste of it. Mm-hmm. Then it goes away. But now that they've had the taste, they don't want to do without it anymore. So they're mm-hmm. not going to sit complacent for 10 more years. Right. They're right. going to have the focus to get back to that, where they were for that one moment, mm-hmm. and then keep going. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, so I had to get a little macabre there to really viscerally com- communicate what I was saying by that. Right. Um, now, here's another question that you wanted to cover, and I think this is very interesting. Sure. Why do you, wh- John, why do you think the society is not caught up with the times <laughs> in terms of career paths? And yeah. we're about halfway through this. This might finish us off. <laughs> I, I just think there's been such an evolution of what traditional values mean. I'm talking outside of business right now. Okay? Right. I'm going to compare and contrast business to, to even family values. All right? right. I'm, not, I'm not taking a stance on these or saying what's right or what's wrong, but the definition of marriage, the definition of, you know, is it totally socially acceptable right now to have kids before you're married? I mean, I... I mean, I, 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 20 years ago, uh, oh gosh, someone got their girlfriend pregnant, they need to get married. And, you know, now people are making the choice not to, not to get married and, you know, having multiple kids and living together. It's, it's just, there's been an evolution o- over time of, of what, um, you know, of what those definitions are. Right. But if you compare, you know, compare that to business, um, we haven't evolved as much. There, there's still this mindset that you need to go work in corporate America, climb that corporate ladder, get yourself a 401k, earn that bigger title, hopefully you make your way to the office. Oh yeah, let's go and be that loyal co- company employee where uh-huh. whereas entrepreneurs um, are almost like, ooh, the risk takers. And you only do that if you don't have these other options available to you. And mm-hmm. obviously it's not as black and white as I'm making it sound, but, right. but if, but if you right. compare that, to how far we've come from a, um, you know, I, um, like everything else, the other traditional values versus how working for yourself versus working for someone else is, um, we're, we're not nearly as far. It's almost still like the 1950s or 1960s. So I just try to encourage people to say, hey, guys, listen, I don't give a shit if you're doing good at your job right now. Because here, here's the other problem, Adam. The, the other problem is, you, you get people that quit their job to go start a business because they're they're a, in a sales job at their co- company and they're not doing very well and they're about uh-huh. to get, they're about to get fired or they keep getting laid off and switching jobs and now they go into you know now they go into business for themselves and well oh what a shocker the business sucked because they weren't very good working for someone else selling either so who knows uh-huh. but how about those high performers how about the high performer of, of a sales organization? You know, he's got the golden handcuffs on now. He's not going to leave. And also, why would he leave? He's He's got that big title at a big Fortune 500 type of company. He's got an assistant. And, 
you know, blah, blah, blah. He's making the corporate conference trip every year. And his, you know, he, he walks around with his chest puffed out when he shows people his business card. Okay. Well, that's the guy that actually would strive pretty damn well, probably as an entrepreneur work, working for himself. But um, society puts us in a, in a societal influences, I should say, um, make sure that, you know, that person just doesn't see it. Yeah. Well, uh, here's, I mean, you've heard, I mean, unless you've been living under a rock, you know that there are some changes going on at Twitter right now. Oh, yeah. You know, they, you know they, they got that new guy running it now, and he's been tweaking the model just a little. Right. Uh-huh. Well, recently, he announced that uh, he and his accountants had analyzed how much they were paying to provide free lunch for their employees. And I don't have it in front of me, so this is a rough approximation. I may be off by a digit, but... As I recall, Elon indicated they were paying $200 per day per employee to provide lunches. Now, that now that also includes like all of the associated costs, the overhead, the fixed and variables, um, staff costs and things like that. So not only were they paying $200 per head hmm. per day, but a lot of that food was not even getting consumed because not that many people were going to the office. <laughs> okay. So he announced the end of the free lunch thing. So I went on Twitter and I made a, I found the primary thread on this whole thing, the one that Elon was personally involved in. And I made a comment that, uh, you know, I worked for three companies before I became a laptop lifestyle entrepreneur. Uh, one of them was an internet international conglomerate. And I said, you know how many free lunches I got? None. Right. Right. So that was, I think there was one line after it, but that was the whole message. Yeah, man, I, I I think I got almost 800 heart you know, little hearts on it from Twitter, but <laughs> right. I got almost that many negative comments. People like actually angry and hateful toward me. Wow. Let me give you a few of the let me give you a few of the highlights. Um, Unreal. There were a few people who said, "Oh, laptop lifestyle entrepreneur. That just means you're a leech on society who uses free Wi-Fi in coffee shops and doesn't produce a fucking thing." Oh gosh. It's like okay. Uh, it's like uh, it's like it's like. Uh, and my reply to those was, doesn't your company have a policy about using inter about using internet for personal purposes on company time? Do I need to call your boss? <laughs> I love uh, that. Then, then, there were the, then, there, then there were those who uh, said, man, who gives a shit about you, whether you got a free lunch or not? And I'd say, obviously you do. You're commenting on it. Right. Then <laughs> there were those who say, oh, okay, boomer. It's like, ah, I'm Gen X, but thanks for playing. Yeah. Then we got, then we got, <laughs> then we got, uh, this is, uh, this, uh, this is another one of my real favorites out of this where the folks say, oh, so just because you suffered, you expect everybody else to suffer. Like, uh, number one, where did I, where did I say I suffered? Right. I just was pointing out facts. Maybe I did. I, I mean, did you consider the part where I didn't even want a free lunch? What I really wanted was the time away. Because the argument can be made if I'm giving you a free lunch, that means I damn well better find you at your cubicle even during your lunch hour if I want something from you because I'm giving you a free lunch. Yeah, that's crazy. Think about that. That's insane. That's yeah, ins and in one of those work environments, that uh, uh, that you know, there was that there was it was actually you know tacitly very strongly encouraged to get out of the office during your lunch hour. Because if they saw you sitting around, uh, they would say, oh, well, you're not really taking a break. We can use you. Right. Now, imagine if I'm spending $200 a day to feed your ass. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't care if it's your lunch hour or not. Mm -hmm. If I need a spreadsheet done, you're doing it. Yeah. So there's, there's a double-edged side to that. And, uh, and, and, the, and my favorite, and this is how sometimes people just go so trapped in these, was this one person kept going back and forth saying that I literally said people should suffer. I literally said that I wanted other people to be miserable. And mm. I said, I didn't say that at all. So then they took a screen cap of my tweet and said, look, you literally said it. And I said, literally, the thing you're saying I'm saying is not in the screen cap of the literal screen cap of my literal words. And so they turn around and <laughs> So they turn around saying, they said this, you dumbass, have you never heard of paraphrasing? Gosh. Like you kept, you kept going on about this literally thing. And now yeah. I'm not, and now all of a sudden I'm paraphrasing because I didn't fit your, I didn't fit your model of what it means to you know, your model because you'd assumed I was some hateful person that doesn't want people to get lunch or something. 
<laughs> okay, yeah. but but I bring all I bring all this up. It may seem tangential, but it speaks right. to some of the attitudes that you see out there that um, I would myself be concerned about if I was a venture capitalist. And what about the culture? I mean, is this a culture that's uh, that's basically hung on its free lunch? A response I made on that thread over and over again is I'm saying is like I'm not either pro or for yeah pro, yeah. pro or against the free lunch. What I'm saying is. If that's a deal maker or deal breaker, right. and your current employer or the place where you're applying is not yeah. offering a free lunch, but that's a condition, find a company that does. And right. if it turns out there really is that much of a demand, it's that much of a deal maker and deal breaker in the job marketplace, companies will adapt. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so I, so I would look for some of those things uh so if i'm looking to i mean i would have some concerns about and this is why i brought this up about the culture of the company is this a culture that um that measures somebody's value by whether they're sitting upright at their cubicle um answering their telephone on the second ring yeah. uh making sure that they are quote unquote productive for exactly eight hours and 15 minutes a day or right. is this the type of culture that gives you flexibility and it doesn't matter hey you know what if it takes you five minutes to do that job and you spend the other seven hours goofing off, right. then if, if I got my full value, the full value that I expected out of you, and it took you five minutes to do it, I'm not going to, I may offer you other opportunities, but I'm not going to demand you help your coworkers because I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, you're the only honest person here. Right, right. Yeah. So, so usually when venture capitalists come involved, they're, they're not going to um, change the culture of the organization. So they're going to look at all these other metrics and however they're getting there. Okay. It's usually going to be something on, and that's positive. Okay. Versus yeah. like what Elon does is, you know, he's taking over the damn company, right? So he's running it now and he's involved operationally. Okay. So yeah. he's, he's changing what he wants to change. We're going to change that culture. It's a little different. It's a, it's almost like it's not by he's definition, not by definition, it's not this, but it's almost like a hostile takeover type of situation. Okay. Whereas venture capital, Hey, we're putting money into something that we already believe in. So, so whether the culture is, you know, hey, this, you know, free liberal type of world, come and go as you please, or whether it's work your ass off and sit, sit straight at the desk, um, that doesn't matter to us. That that the culture is what it is. We're not, we're not going to go in and and and, and change that. Um, the, the founder has the culture set and hopefully they're, well, they're, if a venture capitalist is going to be involved, they are doing well. So we're not typically going to do anything to, to disrupt that. I yep. will say, I will say though, we will look at things, you know, you talked about the free lunches. We will look at things like that. Okay. I, is this founder astute with, with investor money coming in? So startups, yeah. you know, startups should not be in a position where they could do things like, you know, those kinds of, of, of employee perks unless, and this is a big unless, unless it's at the sacrifice of something else. So usually yeah. also, that, also that sacrifice would be AKA salary level. All right. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to get this high level person to come work for me and market says he's at 120 grand a year and we can only pay him 95 grand a year, but here's the culture that he's a part of. He's getting free lunches. He's getting this perk and that perk and blah, 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 blah. That could be another thing. Or, or, or maybe, yeah. or maybe that $120,000 a year uh, person who you can only afford to pay 95 for, yep. maybe they really love skiing. Yep. So how about eight weeks of vacation to go up to Vail, Colorado? Well, those are the types of things. Exactly. Uh, that, that, that doesn't cost yeah. the company a whole lot of money to say, right. you know what? We'll throw in some extra vacation. You love skiing. Oh, you like to backpack around Europe every summer. Well, mm -hmm. you just let us know which month and it's yours. Right. Right. Exactly. Those are I, the mean, I mean, there are lots of deals you can make. Well, and those are the kinds of things that um, startups need to do. And, yeah. and, and usually there'll also be some for the for the six figure types of people like that. There's typically going to be some kind of um, employee stock option pool that the person would participate in, in yeah. as well. So um, now, <laughs> if I go look at if I go look at the uh, metrics of a company, I'm like, okay, uh, this guy's getting paid market. This guy's getting paid ten grand more than market, and you're giving them stock options, and you're letting them work from home two nights two days a week, uh, and they all do whatever the hell they want and wear what they want to the office. 
then I start to look at it a little bit differently. I go, Hey, hold on. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, um, the inmate inmates run in the jail a little bit. I, I mean, I don't mean that literally, but I, but what I'm saying is you don't, people don't want to work here. Then that tells me, okay, you need to yeah. make your startup attractive where people do want to make a little bit of a sacrifice to be a part of this deal. You're only getting people to work here because you're overpaying them. I mean, that's not what you, uh -huh. you don't want to be a, in a pissing match with the big dog in your industry for the best and the brightest. Cause all they're going to do is, you know, that person's going to come over and uh, be like, Oh, this is a shit show here. I don't have as much as support. I was making 180 grand over there and I'm making 190 over here, but I got to do three times as much work. Cause I don't have an assistant and I don't have this person help me with this. And, you know, and then they fail and then they go back to the other place and you just wasted seven months. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So there's uh there, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I mean, it's, it's. Oh uh, yeah. It's yeah. And it, yeah. I mean, it goes beyond just uh, one size fits all numbers. Now okay. I was, now I was taking us somewhere with the whole Twitter free lunch thing. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, and you made the observation about uh, how, a lot of times with culture, venture capitalists look to retain the culture if it's a healthy culture uh, that they don't often come in. And, and again, I'm just looking at this scientifically. Um, Elon's management of Twitter has been like a wrecking ball. It's like you think he almost had a plan to reduce the staff by 90 percent and cut away all the perks. It's almost like it's almost like somebody told him that uh, they had grossly misrepresented the number of their users or actually bots, which Im impacted their potential advertiser revenue. It's almost like that something like that might have actually happened. And it's almost like he uh, got a hold of the, of the uh, balance sheets and he could see as clearly as anybody the company was losing money out its ass. <laughs> right. Right. So but, but, but let's let's put that let's put that on the shelf and set it there. And now let's add. Was he buying Twitter to reform it? Or is he buying Twitter because he wants its assets? Yeah. That could be that could be two different things. I mean, it's pretty clear by now that he wasn't there just to put a quick update on the logo and tweak the employee handbook a little bit. That's not the okay. case. Yeah. Uh, so was he looking so in the long run, is he looking for Twitter to still be Twitter? Or yeah. or was yeah. he looking to purchase the infrastructure? in lieu of investing in development costs for something he wants to do. So Twitter and its infrastructure might be close to something he wants to do. So why, so buy the development that's already been done or it could be that, and I, again, I'm quoting the man himself. Uh, he's, you know, in some of his speculative posts that he puts out there all the time, he's mentioned the possibility of having Twitter um, have the option to, I mean, we, we know about the $8 checkmark thing, but he's also mentioned things like um, being able to pay to be able to write longer posts, to be able to write articles, uh, to be able to upload videos of longer length, and also to be able to put assets on Twitter and then charge other people to watch them, like pay-per-view videos and things like that. Mm. So is it possible that he bought the database and then once he takes off gets rid of all the bots he's looking at hundreds of millions of dollars of people who collectively will invest in low ticket items but that money adds up yeah. so they say they said elon's pissing off his investors well what if he doesn't care about the investors right maybe right. maybe he has a completely different monetization model the thing is, is you and I can, we could spend our entire rest of our time together on Elon, which uh, we have a couple other things to do anyway. So I'd like to move on from Elon That almost okay. rhymes, but, uh, <laughs> but it just go, it just goes to point out that there are so many different viewpoints of this. I mean, you could view Elon as a venture capitalist. He saw an asset and bought it right now. Uh, and it, uh, he had some different ideas about how to run it and Hey, we'll see how it goes. Uh, so I'd like to bring, literally bring this back to you, John. Uh, your book, The 2,000% the Raise. Uh, I know this is almost going to sound duplicative in a way, but what is that about? And what is the 2,000% raise exactly? Right. And this is also for those who are tuning in a little bit late. Right, right. It's about understanding that corporate America isn't the only path, okay? Right. To, to learn everything you can. I'm kidding. I have a concept within the book called paid training. And the idea behind that is working in corporate America, learning your business, learning enough to then go out on your own. And when you do that, 
you get, instead of getting that 4% cost of living increase, you give yourself a 2000% increase and hence the name 2000% raise. Um, but, but I got to tell you though, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. We're in an interesting time right now because, um, you know, you get these younger folks coming out of college right now that never really had to work. You know what I mean? They didn't have to go to work during the pandemic. They didn't, maybe they wanted to, and they couldn't. I mean, I know college uh -huh. started a couple of years ago and they, 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 you know, right out of the gates, HR is their job offer is allowing them to work three days a week from home. And, and it's, it's, to me, it's, it's insane. These are corporate jobs. And to me, that's where all the learning's at. So, you know, when, when you think about a time where it's like, hey, we're <laughs> you're going to learn everything, you're going to learn the trade, then transition and go out on your own. Shit, man, if you're not at the damn office, I don't know how you're going to learn very much. Yeah, there, there's, there's something to be said for that and or against it. But, uh, uh, and, and, you know, working for a company in the industry that you want to start a business in, is a path that works very well for a lot of people. Right. Uh, there, but at the same time, there are other paths to get there. You don't have to necessarily do that. Like I, I know very few web designers who worked for a web design company before they hung out their shingle. In fact, <laughs> in fact, in fact, most of them learned their craft by watching YouTube tutorials. Right, right. Well, and, and 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 uh, and by and by and by just putting up with all-nighters and going negative on their first few client accounts and counting that as their learning on how to get more efficient, how to do it well. Right. Right. Yep. So when you're dealing with direct to consumer or business to consumer um, jobs like that, I think you can get away with that a little bit in a business to business, like residual type of environment. You, you don't want to waste, right. those, you don't want to waste those shots. Oh, I screwed that job up. Uh, okay. Bye. Well, what, what, I didn't necessarily mean screw it up, but I yeah. mean, um, but I mean, I know a lot of, I'm using web designers as the, the yeah. example here. A lot of them got good at what they did, got really good at what they do simply yep. because they got clients who believed in them. Right. And when they right. found and then when they found out on those first few deals that they either underbid the project or uh, it turned out to be a bit more than they expected or that they themselves discovered, and this is a real common theme, that they found out in real time they needed to work on setting their own personal boundaries against client feature creep. Well, yeah. if they went upside down on their first few projects, I mean, yeah, they still got paid all the money they asked for. Yeah. It just took them a lot. It just took them a lot longer and cost them a few all nighters to get it done. Right. So yeah. that's their learning. And, and to make it work for those clients when they thought, Oh, this will be easy. I'll just uh, install WordPress and change the settings. And it turns out to be a bit more than that. Well, then that's, those are the ones where they find out what the bit more than that is. So now they make a stronger case when they raise their rates the next gig. Well, and, and then they also find the efficiencies and get it done faster. Well, boom, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it took you three days to do this because you didn't know about this plugin and WooCommerce. Oh shit. With experience, you're going to know more about that stuff. You know what I mean? So hopefully stuff yeah. like that happens too. And you still raise your rates. You can do it in half the time. Boom. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you know, the best part is, is uh, yeah. I was just about to say that. You either charge the same or you raise your rates because now, now they're now your client is purchasing speed. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. I like that a lot. I like that I, a lot. I, I I love it personally. So uh, you know, this has been a you know kind of a wide-ranging oh, yeah. conversation. It's very uh, interesting. I mean, uh, I, I mean, you yourself are pretty wide-ranging. You've yeah. done a whole Thanks, bunch man. of stuff. I mean, uh, you know, between your own entrepreneurship, uh you being a venture capitalist and what have you. So um, I know that you uh, uh, want us to check something out. And I have an invitation I'm going to extend on your behalf. It's a very basic one. And I think people are going to like it. But hmm. before we do that, I want to ask one final question. Sure. Let's say, and again, this might be a recap. It might be a summary. It might be a just narrow it down to this type of thing. Okay. But let's say, uh, you have somebody out there, they've been in business for about three years and they're doing okay. Uh, mm. You know, they've got some clients, they've got some track record, they've got some case studies. They are actually making some money. They're not constantly losing their ass on every single one of their deals. They've even shown one of those years to be profitable. And right. uh, But they're at that point where they know that, you know, it's time to get some money in here and do some real stuff. Right. So right. now they're looking at a venture capital investor or an angel investor and something like that. Yep. If there were yep. a few things, maybe three to five things, like a bullet point list 
that they may want to start with and getting themselves organized so they can be seen in positive lights by the folks of the money? What would those be like? What could they start working on today if they wanted to? Well, first, they need to evaluate if the business is is a scalable business or if it's yeah. just them. You know, you can't really scale yourself or you can, but it's it's a different path if you do. So yeah. you got to figure out, is it your own unique talents, your own unique abilities that, that allow this? Um and uh, the second thing is like, look at the demand. What, what's the demand for, for your service or your product? If, if there's not a lot of demand, you know, what, what is it that you're scaling? And, and you say, okay, it could be a chicken or the egg kind of thing. Well, well, we haven't I'm pushed the marketing. We haven't pushed the marketing of it. We haven't right. pushed the advertising of it. Well, that's, that's why the demand's not there. Okay, are you sure? Because uh-huh. you, you don't know. Hey, you're making 90 grand a year off this and working 35 hours a week. Hey, maybe that's great. Okay, if you worked Thanks. if you worked seventy hours a week, would you be making one eighty? Well, I don't know. Let's try that first before you go and try to get other people's money because other people's money is just simply going to put more pressure on you. Make sure this thing's mm-hmm. scalable, um, where where it could keep growing, and and that kind of you know that kind of formulaic um, analysis of it would would help you you know come come to that conclusion uh, most most certainly. Um, and then I think right. the last thing you know, and I think the last thing would be. You know, do, do you really want partners? Okay, it's a game changer once you bring in investors. All right. Yeah. You know, it, it got to be set up properly from a legal standpoint. Number one, um, if if you need a lot of money, you're going to be spending a lot of time fundraising, where it's going to take your your um, focus off of the business itself. So make sure it's really worth it um, if you're going to go that direction, because chances are the core business will at least um, feel a little bit of a sacrifice. Yeah, absolutely. So to cap this off, I would encourage everybody, and you can see it in our in our show notes. Uh, if you want to connect with John, uh, you can check him out. Uh, he has one of those link trees, which is really awesome. Uh, he does have a he does have a, a, a podcast that you may want to check out. Uh, it's been interviewed on a lot of different shows. Uh, you can see some of his articles. Uh, wow, he's been on Yahoo Finance. And oh, my goodness gracious. Seriously, go to linktr.ee forward slash John Sarasani. And you are going to find a lot of great stuff. So go ahead and check that out. And also look at his website. It is 2000percentraise.com. Name of his book, 2000percentraise dot com and yeah. you'll get a lot more information about what john does and how he may be able to help you so if anything about this has been interesting you'd like to speak with a venture capitalist he's the person you need to connect with, with that john thank you so much for being with us today it's been an honor and believe me in education awesome thank you my friend we trust you enjoyed today's episode of the business creators radio show Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.